you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Good morning, those of you who are at home as well. Uh, This morning, I'm going to focus on greeting one another with the kiss of love. So uh, this morning, would you just turn... No, don't. (laughs) Don't. I'm sure there would be some kind of rule against that uh, today. Um, But does anyone know, what what Sunday is this in the church calendar? Does anyone... Yell it out. It's Palm Sunday. Uh, This this is the Sunday when we remember as a church community uh, Jesus entering into Jerusalem with those huge crowds, you know, saying Hosanna and and, and singing and praising him. And that, of course, beginning that holy week where we lead into the great turnaround that would happen only a few days later on Good Friday. And then, of course, best of all, Resurrection Sunday. But one of the things that strikes me as we finish this letter today is that Peter was there Uh, The man that wrote, uh, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the words you just heard, 
as he concludes this letter of 1 Peter, he was there, he saw it. He saw these things. And and this morning, as we look together at his final closing statement in this, uh, this this letter, this book that we've journeyed through together, he was there, and we're going to see several times, actually, in our text this morning, that he is thinking back to this very week in some of the things that he speaks to us about today. So we're going to look at that together now on this morning of Palm Sunday. And as we do, I'm going to pray that God would indeed stir our hearts, um, get us in the right frame of mind to begin this holy week that leads up to Easter, the the biggest week, I think, of the Christian calendar. So let's pray. Uh, Father, this morning as we gather before you, we thank you for Palm Sunday We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for your entry into Jerusalem. We thank you, Father, that we have have the Lord Jesus with us, that we have these words given to us by his apostle Peter, by the Holy Spirit. And this morning now, as we look at them together, may our hearts be prepared for this week that lies ahead. And may you use them to build us up and encourage us. And we pray all of these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, in these, uh, in these verses, three things, I'm getting a bit predictable with these three things, so I'm going to break it up soon, but this morning, three things that we see here. Number one, a closing word to pastors. Number two, a closing word to the pastored, and number three, a closing word to everyone, to all of us. So let's look at those in turn. Firstly, closing word to pastors, and we find that in verse one. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Uh, Peter begins, he says, I'm an elder and I've got a word for the elders among you in these little churches that he's writing to in what is today modern Turkey. And we might say, well, what is an elder? Is an elder someone who is old? Um, Often, Yes, they do seem to go together, not always. The the term that he uses for elder is the word presbyteros, which we get from in English, the swear word, no, it's not a swear word, Presbyterian, not not at all, I was joking, there's a lot of presby people, please, that was a joke. Um, We get the word (laughs) Presbyterian from that. (laughs) Um, It's not primarily related to age, it's it's a reflection, it actually comes from the first century Jewish community, that term elder, or the Jewish community locked a long time before the first century too, and it refers to someone, uh, a man in a position of authority within that community, that's the, the term elder, but what does it look like in practice? Well, Peter says to the elders, and then he tells us what that pastoring ministry is to look like, and he uses the word shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Um, That word shepherd, through a long kind of convoluted process through Old French and Latin, is the word that, that's where we get pastor from. Um, The word shepherd is is the word pastor. And it picks up, of course, on the the language of the Old Testament and elsewhere in the New Testament where um, the, the leaders of God's people and God himself is described as the shepherd of his people. There's a, a tender, caring compassion for the flock. You might think of Psalm 23 and those wonderful words, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, the image of shepherding the flock must have been indelibly burned into Peter's mind. 
I said before that um, he seems to be picking up many, and we'll see as we go through, at least a number of reflections from this week, this period that was so etched, burned into his mind um, that he, he reflects on it now. And one of those is the word shepherd. So you might remember that after Jesus is resurrected, uh, after Peter's denied him, Jesus tells them to go to the lake of Galilee and there they meet beside the lake, the risen Lord Jesus. And Jesus has some time alone with Peter. And uh, if you read the, what happens, it must have been a very, very traumatic experience for Peter, at least to begin with. Jesus walks with him and then he says, Peter, do you love me? And he does it three times, and, and Peter's hurt because Jesus is asking him the three times for the three times of the denial. And each time, the Lord responds to Peter. And in, in our translations, it's a good translation. It's a good translation of that in the Gospels. He will say, "Do you love me? Feed my sheep." Now, the word "feed" is actually the same word that is used here. It's the it's shepherd. Do you love me? Shepherd my sheep. And when Peter is now speaking to the elders of these churches and, and elders today, he, he draws from his own memory of Jesus saying that, and he says, elders, you have authority, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Interesting, he doesn't say shepherd your flock. He says shepherd the flock of, it's God's flock, God's people, they're among you, elders, shepherd them. Now, one more term he uses. Verse 2, again, he says, exercising oversight. Now, this is the word, Greek word episkopos, uh, from which we get episcopal or bishop. Not, not a swear word, right? <laughs> episcopal or bishop. Now, this literally means um, oversight, not surprisingly, means looking down from above. It, it's overseeing, it, it's... it's um, it's, it's referring to a, a governing uh, oversight of authority of a community. So, so Peter, as he begins, is given to, he says, talks about elders, shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, three terms which later on in church history became official positions. So you have the pastor of some community, you have bishops in others, you have elders in others, or presbyteries in others. And they're actually, in the New Testament, they're the same they're used interchangeably. Uh, you, it seems like there's no, it's really hard to say, well, this is one and this is another. Later on in church history, they get other meetings. In the Bible, they're speaking about to the holistic ministry of the elders or the pastors or the overseers of the church community. So, now, obviously, if you hadn't realized, we are a church community, and if you've visited this morning not knowing that, I'm sorry to break it to you, but yes, we are a church community. And a good question for you to ask is, well, would be, well, how does that look like for us? Uh, who are the elders shepherding the flock of God among us? Who are the overseers? Uh, who are the pastors? Well, here we go. We've, we've actually got a slide. <laughs> now, is that complicated enough for you? Um, who are the pastors in Geelong? You can see there in the middle thing, we've got the Geelong pastors. What a handsome bunch they are. Um, now, these are the ones primarily... Uh, tasks with shepherding the flock of God among us. Now, you would say, well, how did they get there? Like, was it a lottery? One day they came in and, and they got the unlucky uh, stick and they were told they were going to be a pastor. Like, how was it? Well, actually, it's, um, it works a little bit like this. So at some point, um, these men stuck their hand up and said, 
we would feel that we would like to explore becoming a pastor in the church at City on a Hill, Geelong. We'd like to explore becoming overseers, elders, pastors. And then what would happen was a very long process of discernment. In the case of Brennan right there, Brennan, how many years was it? I don't know where you are. it was, I, I just, he went out. it was a long time. He's not here. I, now he's not here. I can probably say it was 12 years, but it wasn't that long. It was at least five. And uh, during that period, most of, peop- most of the um, elders in training would uh, choose to do a theological degree. In fact, um, all of our uh, pastors have done a degree in theology, uh, except one, Pete Stephen, who's in the middle of one. Um, and then there, after a period of time in which they'd serve in all sorts of different roles within the church community... And some of you will have been here when this happens. We would present them and say, Dave May, uh, we're presenting him to the church as a potential pastor. He's been serving for a long time now. He's gone through this process. We think that he is suitable to become a pastor in God's church here in Geelong. Do you? And it's a little bit like the wedding moment, you know, when you say, you know, is it, they're about to get married, has anyone got any objections? Speak now, forever hold your peace. It's kind of like that moment where you get to say, Actually, no, I've got a real problem with this or whatever. That hasn't actually happened, but it, it, it could. And uh, then if there is nothing, then these men are confirmed as pastors here in Geelong. But that slide is a lot more busy. And there's some other things that I'd, I'd like to explain to you in that as well. So you can see there underneath uh, the pastors working in conjunction with them is our staff team. So the staff team are, are people who work with the pastors under the authority of the pastors Uh, helping shepherd the flock. And that might be from Rachel Francis, who hopefully welcomes you at the door and goes through the connections process, to to Megan Macaluso, heading up the kids' ministry, to any of the other faces that hopefully you're familiar with there. But there's a few more. Um, If you are someone who's interested in governance, and I could ask you to say who that is, some of you really are, I know that. Others of you are like, I'm really not. But it actually, governance is a little bit like poison gas, right? Um, you, you don't know, when, you, when you know that it's not working, you know that it's not working, right? Up until then, you just, you just breathe oxygen, you think it's all normal, but when it comes unstuck, governance really matters, which is why it's in the Bible, by the way, and why Peter speaks about it here. So um, we are, the Geelong pastors and staff, we are not lone rangers. We haven't, we haven't got sole authority to do whatever we would like. Um, we are under authority also. And so you can see above there, the, um, the movement pastors, and so those are the pastors and the executive pastor Ian Scarborough, um, who are, are lead pastors of the eight City on a Hill churches. And so they together meet weekly and uh, have a, a, a generic oversight of us here in Geelong. But there's also more over to the left, or my left, um, is uh, the movement board. And you can see the men and women on that board are primarily tasked with the oversight, especially in finances, uh, in governance, in policies, some very, um, very capable men and women on that team. You've probably never met many of those, but let me tell you, they are very capable in what they do. And then finally, over to the right, is the Archbishop, uh, who is also in our governance chain, who stands above, um, above us with a, a, a higher level of, I suppose, Episcopal, Episcopos oversight of the actual church. So as you can see, it's complicated. Some of you have gone to sleep, wake up, we're moving on. Uh, but for others of you, this is like, this is the best moment ever. You know, we actually looked at it. If only we'd had a wide diagram, it would have made my day. But there you go, it's pretty close. So now, after speaking to the pastors and elders, Peter then goes on and he says, here's three things that pastors and elders should not do. 
And then he says what they should. So number one, they should not do, verse two, is serve under, uh, sorry, it says don't serve under compulsion. So don't become a pastor and elder, and I'd, I'd broaden that to say staff member, because you have to. It, Peter's saying it, it's not a good thing. And you say, why would you possibly do it out of compulsion? Like, why would you be reluctant to do that role? And in the context of Peter's, the churches Peter's writing to, there was a very good reason why. Anyone know what it was? <laughs> if you were a pastor of the community of these little churches that were under persecution by the Roman government and the Roman Empire, what do you think happened if you suddenly stuck your hand up and you became a, a, a position holder or a, lead, a position of authority within that church community? Yes, you got targeted. Uh, you were targeted for persecution, you were targeted for imprisonment, for property confiscation, and for potential death. Uh, so you can understand there might have been a bit of a reluctance, you know, afterwards. So Harry, how about you think about becoming a pastor? And Harry's like, well, the last three guys are all dead. Uh, let me have a think about this, you know. Um, it was a real. it's actually a reality today of many churches around the world. Um, those of you who, who follow the persecuted church uh, will know that this Easter period is a time of, of heightened danger for Christians across many parts of the world, especially for Christian leaders. Um, it's still a reality. Now, thankfully in Australia, it's not to the same extent, but there are some reasons that you might still be reluctant to be a pastor or an elder. Uh, in fact, I spoke to uh, a good friend of mine uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I said, you would be a perfect pastor. Why aren't you a pastor, why, why aren't you involved in the governance of your church? And, and he, he responded with two words, vicarious liability. Uh, now, some of you are lawyers and it's like, I know what vicarious liability, let me tell you what it is. Vicarious liability says that you can be held responsible for something that you didn't do or potentially were not even aware of. So, for example, in regards to child safe ministry, if, um, if there was, and I pray that this never, ever occurs in our midst, um, if there was a case of abuse of children within our community, under vicarious li uh, liability and under the laws of Victoria, I can actually go to prison even though I knew nothing about what actually happened. It's, it, it's a legal burden which has been increasing over the years and it's real. Um, another case you might be reluctant, another example of vicarious liability was in COVID enforcement. Um, I found this out halfway through, that if as a church we didn't um, follow COVID rules then, uh, and we were, we were audited, uh, then it wouldn't be the people that were breaking the rules that were held primarily accountable, it was personally my vicarious liability. Uh, so it was $120,000 on my head. You can understand why there would be some reluctance um, to potentially serve in this role of elder pastor. But Peter goes, don't do it under compulsion, um, but eagerly. And then secondly, he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So he's saying, don't, don't serve as a pastor because you want shameful gain. Uh, he is not saying that uh, those who serve as elders within the church community should not be paid. Yeah, yeah I'll say that again. Just to hear that. <laughs> Actually, in the New Testament and throughout history, that's been the practice of the church, and the Bible speaks about it uh, very a number of occasions, saying it's actually appropriate. But if that's not shameful gain to be paid, what is shameful gain? Well, it could be that you are employed by the church to steal from the collection plate, to use the old analogy, uh, that at the end you just sort of help yourself. That would be shameful gain, right? I think we're pretty clear on that. Um, but 
I think when we think about what Peter's speaking about, a shameful gain, what he's really focusing at is the motivation, I think. You know, um, why are you serving in this role? You know, why did you want to become a pastor or a leader in the church? Was it money-related? Now, this is tricky because if you said to me, I said, what's your job? And you go, I'm a lawyer. I go, well, that's fine. You, you, you know, you're a lawyer because you're earning money for your family. It's fine to want to be a lawyer because you get paid to be a lawyer. Or you're a builder. Of course you're a builder because you want money to feed your family and you want to build your business. Or, or you're a teacher. You, you, you may just teach out of the goodness of your heart, but I presume that you also want to be paid for it in the process. And all appropriate. Peter seems to be saying that in regard to church ministry, if that is your motivation, that's shameful gain. Uh, you don't become uh, a leader or an elder in a church ministry because you want the money. That's not why you do it. And Peter says you, you shouldn't do it. Now, let me tell you a story to positively illustrate this of a man called Brendan Wright. Um, a number of you might have known him. In fact, you saw him, if you're on time, uh, leading the start of the service. Now, let me tell you the story of Brendan Wright. Brendan Wright lived in Dandenong. But in 2013, he caught the vision to be part of a new church community here in Geelong. So he drove down multiple times every week in his old Corolla from Dandenong to Geelong and then back again that night to be part of that new community. He did this for three years um, until eventually, after moving to Geelong, we were able to pay him one day a week as a volunteer for the rest of the time. Now, if Brendan was in ministry for shameful gain, he made a complete hash of it. He left a good professional job to volunteer at a, at, to begin a church ministry that eventually could pay him one day a week after three years. Um, I even used to bug him to at least put in for his fuel reimbursements to and from Dandenong, and he never did. I'm not sure if that was an administrative thing or a, a more noble cause from Brendan's heart, but whatever it was, never once, I think, did he submit it. And eventually... He ended up leaving that well-paid professional job to take a job that paid far less in a community uh, serving as an elder or pastor. That's, that's not doing it for shameful gain. That's an example, I think, of the right motivation. He wanted to serve. He wanted to get alongside uh, the hurting. He wanted to build up communities. He wanted to see God's name lifted up. That's the right motivation. Now, third ne negative comes in verse 3. Peter says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So when we think about eldership, we think about leadership, pastors, elders, overseas, whatever term you want to use, are not to be bullies. They're not to use their authority to, uh, to abuse or to dominate others or to stand over others. Uh, Peter says, no, no, not then, but says, rather being examples to the flock. Now, let's pause for a moment, right? If you have been reading the papers recently, or if you have been studying church history for the last 2,000 years, you will know that many, many occasions throughout the history of the church, pastors, elders, overseers have not put this into practice. In fact, in many cases, they have done exactly the opposite things. There have been horrible scandals, there's been abuses of people and resources, which is why I think Peter writes verse 4. This is what he says. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown, crown of glory. When the chief shepherd appears. When the chief shepherd appears, uh, Peter's speaking about that in terms of reward, which I'll look at in a moment, but he is also, it's implicit that the chief shepherd is going to appear and he's going to hold those under shepherds who are shepherding in his name to account. That we all, we all will have to give an account before the judgment seat of Christ. But if you've been following through with us in Peter, you'll know that he's just said, judgment begins with the household of God. And if judgment begins with us, the church, surely it will begin with the leaders of the church. And Jesus and, and, and others in other parts of the New Testament, like the book of James, speak about the extra level of scrutiny, if you like, that comes to leaders within God's, God's church. There's a, a terribly frightening verse, if you're me, which says that not many of you should presume to be teachers, because those of you who teach will be judged more harshly. He's saying it, you shouldn't just think that you, who, who teaches? Well, elders, pastors do most of the teaching in, in churches. You'll be judged more harshly. So not many of you should presume to do that. There's a heavy weight, and when, and when, when Peter, Peter says, yeah, the Lord Jesus Christ is, is going to reveal, he's going to appear, anyone who holds authority in God's church should, should tremble, look at their own lives and ministry, and say, I could get away with a bunch of stuff that you might not see, but there will come a day when all things will be revealed, when I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There's, there's a frightening part of this. Well, so why then would anyone be a pastor? If you're going to be judged more harshly, if you're not going to be working for money, you're probably going to be receiving less money than you might in another role or occupation. Um, if if the, the, the heavy, you know, being in church leadership is a heavy business because you've got lots of people and people, as we all know, are problems as well as sheep are problems. If you grew up on a sheep farm, you know exactly what, uh, like I did, sheep are like. So... Why would you do it? Well, in some ways, I think about this for me personally, because I've got, I've got five, ch five children, and I, you know, like, why would I encourage any of my five children to go into church leadership, or my boys to go to, to look at becoming pastors? Why, why would I do that if that's what's involved? So, like, you know, go and, I don't know, join the army or something, and go to, go to a war somewhere. You'll be paid better, and, you know, you'll have less burdens, and, you know, it's, it'll be fine. Why would we? Well, in verse 4 again, and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Uh, the word that Peter uses for crown here is the word for, uh, it was what you'd be presented at the Olympic Games of that period. It was a, a wreath of, of glory. It would be what a, a conquering general would receive at the end of a victory march. Peter says, on that day when Jesus Christ re is revealed, if you've served well, you'll be rewarded by him. Now, as a pastor and as an elder, as all of us need the grace of God. No one goes beyond the gospel of God's unmerited favor and kindness given to us in Jesus. All of us need the gospel day by day. Pastors, leaders, the brand new Christian who's sitting here today for the very first time. We all need that. But this is what um, Paul Barnett, a Bible commentator, puts it in his commentary like this. He says simply this, I think it's true. All believers share the same salvation. Yet there is a special recognition of faithful service. The returning glorious Christ will crown those elders who have been willing and eager 
and diligent in their service of Christ and others. That's why I'd tell my kids, go into pastoral ministry. That's why I'd say to you this morning, if you're someone who is stepping up into leadership of some kind, yes, it's heavy, yes, it can be hard, but the Lord Jesus Christ will reveal. And for those who've served well and faithfully, there will be an everlasting crown. All right, first point. Second one, first word, a final word to the pastors. Now, much more quickly, a second point, and that is a word to the pastored. So, verse five. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, the text makes clear, once again, that this is not an age thing. It's not saying um, the younger blokes be subject to the older blokes. Uh, that's, Pete, uh, Peter's talking about church leadership. He's continuing in that theme. And what are you saying when he says likewise? As we've gone through First uh, Peter, we've seen time and again that Peter has said, be subject to human authorities. He's spoken about the government. He's spoken about employers. He's spoken about marriage. He's, he's consistently said, be subject to. Now he says, likewise, the pastor be subject to the pastors. Uh, this command um, is one that comes up in various places like 1 Thessalonians, where Paul says this in, in uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 12. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And in the letter to the Hebrews, uh, chapter 13, verse 17, says this, obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So when it speaks about uh, submission, as it has with all the other cases, it means being subject to means um, respecting or accepting the authority of those to whom you are subject. It means uh, obeying. It means submitting. Uh, those are the words that we've seen before. Now, as with all other submission, not groveling, not mindless obedience, not blind. Uh, you know this, but I'll say it again uh, and very clearly, pastors are fallible. Uh, church leaders are fallible. They're just like you. We're all under the grace of God. And so submission never says do what they say when it contradicts what the Bible says or do what they say when it is evil or where something in your heart, there's a conscience issue. You go, That's really, really, it never says that. It says be subject to your leaders. It says willingly submit to them and that would be the default response as it is with all of those things. The default response is willing submission out of obedience to Jesus Christ. Not blind or groveling or somehow saying, you know, like, I'm lower and they're higher. None of that stuff. Whenever Peter speaks about submission, as in the Bible as a whole, it speaks about um, a working together of equals under the authority of God for the sake of Christ. And uh, Hebrews 13 goes on to say, when, when, it, when that works well, it's good for the pastors and it's good for the pastored. He says this, uh, let them, that's the pastors, serve you with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you, the pastor. So when it happens well, it's a sweet, beautiful thing. All right, a word to the pastors, a word to the pastor. Now, finally, a word to all of us, and that comes in verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud 
that gives grace to the humble. Peter's saying each member of the church relates to one another out of mutual respect and love and humility. Uh, those who are, are, are governing the church, treating those who uh, they are serving humbly, and those who are part of the church, treating those who are an authority humbly. It's a humility. And once again, when Peter says, clothe yourself with humility, can you think about what happened in this week in the church calendar, which you might be thinking of, as an example? Clothe yourself with humility. Can you think of anybody else that might have clothed himself with humility? I'm sure when, when Peter uses that word, clothe yourself with humility, I'm sure he's remembering that moment when a certain person took a towel and tied it around his waist and then got down on his knees and washed the feet of his disciples, the, the task of a servant. When Jesus did that, on the week of his crucifixion, he clothed himself with a humility that you and I can never, in an eternity of eternities, approximate. The one who is the God of the universe, the one through in, in him all things were created, through him all things were created, clothed himself with a servant's towel. And Peter says, in your church, you little churches, you're under persecution, clothe yourself with that kind of humility one to another. And then he says, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He says, as a church community, if you treat one another that way, then there will be a harmony and a beauty as, as each of us use the spiritual gifts we've been given for the, for the betterment of those around us and for the glory of God. As each of us come into the Christian community and we think, what can we give, not what can we take? When that actually happens, there's a beautiful harmony that exists and it says that God, God comes, he, he, he opposes the proud. You make God your enemy if, if you behave like that with one another. But he gives grace to the humble. And that's what we long for and need as a church community, isn't it? That if you come here this morning, it's your first time or you've been here for a long time, that here in the midst, we are a community that, that humbly love and serve one another as we humble ourselves before God, then he gives us that grace. But he's not quite finished with humility. Verse six says, not just humble yourselves before one another, but before God. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Humble yourself that at the right time, God may exalt you. Remember, Peter's speaking to a church that's persecuted. The main theme of this letter has been suffering. It's come up so many times. Suffering, suffering, suffering. And now Peter says to this suffering church, don't just humble yourselves before one another. Humble yourself under God's hand. But what he's saying is, if, if God has led you into a moment of suffering... And this could be you right now. If God has led you to a moment when you suffer, God is not just the, the sovereign author of your salvation. He's not just redeeming you out of darkness and taking you into light. He has put you in a place where you are suffering because he is also the master of your sanctification. That just means he's the master of the process of where you become more like Jesus Christ. 
So if you are suffering, Peter is saying, humble yourself under God's hand. Don't resist it. Don't don't shake your fist at God. And I know how easy that is to say, right? Until you suffer, it's very easy to read these verses. Of course I'm going to do that. And when you actually do suffer, like earlier this year, I couldn't even shake my fists against God. It was like, because both of them were broken. I was like, how does that happen? You know, Lord, come on. It's unfair. And, and even a little suffering like that, when we do suffer, we tend to, to, to want to just resist God. But God says, Peter says, if you're in that moment, humble yourself under God's hand. He, he's working in your life. Don't oppose him. And then he says in verse 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And remember, this is just speaking about pride and humility. The truth is, anxiety um, and humility are actually mutually exclusive things. They're like oil and water. They don't mix. Think about it for a moment. Anxiety, and we all struggle with anxiety, don't we? Not just people who are diagnosed with anxiety. Um, all of us struggle with that kind of worry, that, that fear, that, um, that concern. And, and anxiety and humility are opposed to one another. Think about it as, as you go to bed at night, right? And if, the, if you're anything like me, this is what I struggle with. I'm going to bed and I think about all of the things that I'm worrying about. It may be people that I'm worried about. Someone, thanks, sister. Not just me. Uh, people that I'm worried about. Um, it might be uh, tasks that are ahead that I'm worried about. It might be uh, circumstances that I'm worried about. And, and, I, and, I, and I sit there and I try to get to sleep and, and I start worrying about all these things. Now, and you, and you can say, well, that's, that's a humble thing to worry about things. No, it's not. It's actually the reverse. It's proud. You know why? Because if I'm anxious about something, it's because I, I somehow think that I can... I'm in control of it, right? It's a control thing. I can fix this. I can do this. My worrying about this will actually achieve something. As if I'm in control, I, I run my universe and I can't put my head down on the pillow and go to sleep because what's going to happen when I'm asleep? How's the world going to keep turning? How's all of these things going to happen in the world? Oh no, I have to lie there and worry about it. Do you see, do you see the contradiction? Anxiety and pride go hand in hand. Anxiety and humility have no place for each other. There is a, and that's what Peter says, you're humble people, you're submitting to God, cast your anxieties on him, he cares for you. Don't lie awake worrying about stuff. It's easier to say, I know, but, but Peter is encouraging us, cast your cares on God, he cares for you, and he's God. And he controls the world. It spins on his command, not yours. Uh, John Calvin was surely right when he wrote this. (laughs) If you ask me concerning the precepts of the Christian religion, first, second, third, always, I would answer humility. But finally, uh, Peter's got one more word for all of us. And it's this, it's that how we relate as a church community how we relate to God is significant because we live in a world we are, where we are opposed. Uh, he finishes by speaking about the devil and he describes him as a, a, a ravenous predator, a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. The word for devour is, is literally in the original, it's gulp, oh, 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 who he can gulp down. 
And, and Peter finishes by this, by saying, like, as a church community under suffering and persecution, be aware, be awake. There's an enemy, and, and as you know, it's a, it's a precept of all military operations from the beginning of the world until now, which is that a house divided against itself cannot stand. And his point is, as a church community, be awake, be aware of these things. Don't have the infighting among you between pastors and pastors. Don't have those kind of things because you've got an enemy that is prowling around seeking whom he may devour. And, and interestingly, uh, Peter, who said multiple times, be in submission or be subject to the authorities, be subject to uh, employers, be subject to all these things. When it comes to the devil that he says, no, be subject, you notice that? He says, resist him. Standing firm in your faith. Resist the devil. Now, we, we ask, well, how do we resist with that unyielding resistance? Uh, Peter doesn't tell us here, but I think it would be fair to say that he says, put on Access the arsenal at your disposal, all of it. Put on the full armor that you have. And you know what it is. It's the armor that you get if you're a Christian here this morning when you are welcomed into the, the, the king. When you are adopted into the family of God, you are given weapons to use. Now, what are these? There are many. There's prayer. There's praise. There's fellowship with other believers, encouraging one another. There's the verbal rebuke of the evil one. We see that in Scripture. And indeed, it's putting on the whole armor of God. So a word to pastors, a word to the pastored, a word to all of us from Peter, and they're good words. I, uh, I don't know about you, but um, at the start of this letter, uh, someone, a uh, commentator, said that the book of First Peter was a, a word written to the 21st century church. I was like, no, I'm not so sure about it. At, Having come through it, it's a word written to the 21st century church. And it, it's my prayer that as we, as we come to the end of that, that we won't just let it flow over us, but that we will do what Peter encourages us to. Remember, we're elect aliens. We're elect exiles. We, we don't belong here, but we're chosen. We're on a path and a journey where it's sometimes hard, where suffering is a reality, but we are heading towards heaven. And we have an enemy, but as we together, as God's family, push forward to that, we know that at the end of the age, it will be worth it. There'll be a crown that's not just for pastors who have served faithfully, but for every Christian who has journeyed that journey. So as, uh, as we conclude this letter, and as we, we ponder for a moment, as we come to share communion together, what I want us to do is I want you to, to close your eyes and I'm going to finish reading again those words we heard read before, Peter's final words, his final blessing on those churches and I think it's, it's what we need to hear as well and then and musicians can come up and then we're going to share communion together. So close your eyes, listen to these words. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. 
Amen. Father, as we come before your presence, we humble ourselves beneath your hand. Father, on behalf of of the pastors of this church and the staff, we humble ourselves beneath your hand. We know that we have anything we have, any gifts we have come from you, and they're to be used to shepherd your people well. Father, we come before you as a whole church, knowing that very often we are tempted and called (laughs) and dragged into anxiety, into thinking that we control stuff. And Father, we ask that as we come under your hand, you would forgive us for the times when we have done that. Forgive us for the times when we've exalted ourselves instead of exalting you. Father, we pray that as a church, we might indeed be a church of genuine, humble people. Humbled by what you have done for us. Humbled by the fact that the God of the universe would come as a baby. Would live our life and on this week that we remember most of all in the year would give his life for us. How can we be proud when you clothe yourself as a servant? How can we exalt ourselves when you humbled yourself? And so, Lord, we pray um, for our church that, that you would give us a deep and deepening humility, a deep and deepening unity. Father, we pray that as a church community of leaders and led, that, that we would reflect the beautiful, wonderful God that we serve. We pray, Lord, that for those who come in here, they would find a, a place of acceptance And Lord, that we would continually be open to you to correct and rebuke us. We'd be always a community repenting of our sins and seeking your face. And Lord, as we pause this morning now to come before you and to to be obedient to you, to share communion, which the world could view as such a meaningless symbol, but we know we, we do it because you tell us to and because in it there is a blessing. And so, Lord, as we do that, we reorient our minds and our hearts. We thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. We thank you that we can come together as a church now and celebrate that that as heavy as this Easter week is, we know how it ends. And we rejoice in your victory and your triumph. And so, Lord, we thank you and praise you. And as we come now to take these elements, we ask that our hearts be open and be prepared and that you would minister your grace to us. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.